Hello, this is Michael James King coming to you from beautiful downtown, roundtown, USA, where I know something that you don't. Oh yeah? What is that? I know that there were three people that went into the ark before Noah. Three people? How do you know that? It says in the Bible, and Noah went forth. Pretty bad. <laughs> That's very bad. <laughs> this is yet another edition of God's Love Club, the podcast that talks about God's divine love and what it means for you today. We, as always, are giving a shout-out to spirit-led believers everywhere and greeting them with a holy kiss. We confess Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and thank Him for His sacrifice on Calvary, and we look forward to His soon appearing in the clouds. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your spirit will lead and guide us as we talk to your people today. We ask that the words that we speak will be your words and that they will penetrate their minds and hearts so that they understand how you love them and how they can live a fulfilling Christian life in you. Amen. Amen. As always, my host with the spirit-led most is the lovely Christy Smith, the darling of Round Town, USA. Christy is happy and well-adjusted in downtown Roundtown, where she believes without limits, prays for her family and friends unceasingly, and treats everyone with loving kindness. The title of today's podcast is Learning to Walk in God. Wow, this has been a while since we've been here, hasn't it? It it has been a while. We haven't fallen off the edge of the earth. We've actually been really busy with some other things that God's put on our plate for us to do. You've been working on your Sarah Hunter book series. That's coming along really well. First book is about to be published. Now we feel confident that at least here and there, we'll get back into the podcasts. And today we're going to talk about what it means to learn to walk in God which means how do we learn to interface with our Heavenly Father so that we can do His will here on earth. And one of the main points that I wanted to make today is when you first begin to walk as a young child, you do not do it perfectly. Mm -mm. Furthermore, nobody expects you to do it perfectly. They expect that you will fall. And they don't want you to fall. And it's unpleasant many times when a child does fall because they hurt themselves a little bit and they cry and they're discouraged. You know, but what do they do? Well, they get back up and they try again. And everybody cheers, you know, when they walk three steps. (laughs) And if they fall, they fall. And a lot of kids, they fall a lot before they actually learn to walk properly. And I think this is a interesting way to view our Christian lives because more than a few believers get into this perfectionism mode where they want to be so right before God that they're afraid to make a mistake. And what that does is that it puts a fear into your heart of failure. And because you fear failure so much, You don't want to take any chances that might result in failure. And therefore, when God asks you to do something that's kind of iffy in your view, you pull back from it because, well, I might sin. Mm -hmm. I might make a mistake. I might displease you. Well, you know, all parents are fully aware that a child may make a mistake. 
Yet they hold out their hands and they say, hey, Johnny, come towards me anyway. Why? Because they want them to learn to walk. It's a sign of their maturity. And God's the same way. If he asks you to come and walk, he knows that it's a difficult thing that he's asking you to do. And if you fall, if you make a mistake, it's expected. And that's what grace is for. When you make a mistake, you don't have to fear that the world's going to fall apart because you did something wrong. What you do is you get up, and if you need to, you simply repent. And you say, I'm not going to do that again. And then you go and you try to do what God asked you to do and try to do it better. You know, this is a, a very healthy thing to recognize in God because it takes all this performance anxiety away from you. And you feel like, okay, well, I'm going to give it my best shot. But if I don't do it perfectly, God understands. God's not going to condemn me. He's not going to yell at me. I'm just going to do better next time. And this allows God to take you places where normally you wouldn't go for fear of failure. And I think that's the salient point. There are places that God wants to take us And as we're coming closer and closer to the end times, I think those places that God wants to take us are becoming less and less familiar to normative Christianity. And there are a lot of you out there who really have a heart to follow God and to do everything he asks you to do and to be led by the Spirit. And sometimes as you're led by the Spirit, he leads you places that you haven't been before. And he leads you places that maybe nobody in your church or your family, or the people around you have ever been before. You might start having experiences in the Holy Spirit that you can't explain. That when you ask somebody, what does this mean? They would say, I don't know. I've never heard of that happening before. But does that mean that you're going somewhere you're not supposed to go? Not if God is leading you. The thing that we need to remember is that grace is available. And grace is not something that we take advantage of and we sin intentionally because there's grace that will cover us. The purpose of grace is so that we can have boldness to go where God leads us and not be afraid of failing. Because if I'm following the Spirit of God, and I honestly think He's leading me to do something, and I end up falling in some way, He knows my heart. And He knows that I was honestly trying to follow Him. I really believed that He was leading me. But if I had missed it, somehow I misunderstood His voice, or I got blindsided by something, or I got distracted, or just made a bad choice— In my ignorance, he's not going to withhold his grace from me. And it's like you were explaining about children learning how to walk. We don't tell one-year-olds, you have to stay sitting down, because if you get up and walk, you might fall and hurt yourself. We know that they have to learn to walk. And we need to realize that that's how it is in our spiritual lives, too. We have to learn to walk being led personally by the Holy Spirit. And the only way we're going to learn how to do that is to practice. We have to get up. We have to start moving. And if we fall, we fall. We ask God to forgive us. We ask God to straighten our path, to put us back where we need to be. We stand up and we walk again. You said it really clearly. It's fear. It's fear that holds us back. But as soon as we know that we've made a mistake and we repent, God will put us on the right path. We don't need to be afraid. We can continue to move forward. All of us have been in that experience where you live your life and you may be continually involved in a sin that you don't recognize a sin. For example, pride. You might be really prideful and you might be really rude to people and not full of compassion and you might be angry a lot and you might feel like you're always right and don't you dare contradict what I'm saying. I have to prove that I'm right. And we live like that 
for a long time not recognizing that that's not coming from the Spirit of God. That kind of attitude is not from God. That's our fleshly nature. But while we're in it, sometimes we don't recognize that. We feel justified in our anger or our pride or whatever we're doing. But when the Holy Spirit leads us and we continue to grow and mature in Him, we start to recognize things like that as, wow, that's not very Christ-like. He really wants me to have more compassion, and we ask him to guide us. Then we find ourselves in those same situations that we were in before, reacting with less pride, less anger, less frustration. But does that mean that he's condemning us for what we did before? No, we were walking in ignorance. We were still really consumed by our flesh. We need to recognize there's grace available for us to continue to move forward. And unless we can recognize that that grace is available, we won't learn to walk. Well, precisely. It's all about learning to walk. You don't start out knowing how to walk. You know, it's a skill that you achieve through practice. And the practice sometimes includes falling. And nobody's surprised about that. (laughs) People aren't cheering the falling, they're cheering the walking. And we need to have an attitude that as long as our heart is pure and we want to do God's will, even if we don't do it perfectly, God can adjust us. Mm -hmm. God can put us back on the narrow path. Look at Christianity as an exploration, as a voyage of discovery, as an undiscovered land that you don't know really what's in there and that you want to go and see. And you don't really know which direction you want to go because it's a great big land. So you just ask God, where do you want me to go? And he says, well, let's go over to the right. And you don't have to worry about whether you know what's over on the right. It's just that God wants you to go there. And you may ask, what trail am I going to follow? And the truth is there's no trail. Nobody's been there. It's years to explore. You decide where you're going to put your feet going in the direction that God wants you to go. And you become a discoverer of God. Mm. You discover who he is and what he wants you to do. And you discover the land and the thing that is new and never maybe been seen before by any other Christian. You know, this brings me to another point. When Israel came to the promised land of Canaan, It was occupied by very ungodly people. They were idolaters. They sacrificed their children to Moloch. They worshipped under every tree in the groves of Ashtoreth. I mean, it was a bad place. But God called it the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Now, how was that so if it was so polluted by demonic worship of people that didn't know and didn't care to know God? Well, God was going to remove that element from the land. You know, just because there were Canaanites in the land didn't mean the land itself was evil. Interesting. It was what the people that did not know God did on the land that was evil. Mm -hmm. But once Israel removed them from that land, the land became the holy land. Why? Because God was there, and his people were following him according to his will. And so, in our generation, what Christians need to understand is that just because spiritualists and people that don't know God and will not acknowledge God have 
rushed into an area and said, this is our own and we do this. These spiritual experiences we do that are not of God doesn't mean that the land is bad. Doesn't mean that the spiritual experiences are bad. They're just ungodly, performed by ungodly people that will not listen to their creator. But you, as a chosen vessel of God, if you go into that land and you have similar experiences as they do, as God leads, those are of God. And you can do that. And the trouble is that these spiritualists have run and and muddied the water so that Christians think that anything the least bit spiritual out of the norm is somehow demonic. No, it's those people that do it demonically that are demonic. That's a good point. It's our land. It has been given to us. God wants us to have spiritual experiences, and he wants us to go beyond where we're at so that we can know him in the spirit. And if it looks like something Joe Psychic has done, just know that Joe Psychic did it the wrong way. He just muddied the water of something that God created, and he used it for things that God didn't want him to use it for. You don't have that heart. Therefore, when the spiritual experience comes that looks kind of like that, you're not wanting to worship some foreign deity. Exactly. You're not wanting to do something demonic. You're just interfacing with God in the way that he created you to do it. Canaan's land was a land flowing with milk and honey, and it was a holy land as soon as the people that were supposed to be there went there. That's very interesting. I think that's so accurate. What Satan has really done is cause the church to wall itself off to try to circle the wagons and prevent anyone from within the Christian circle to get somehow marred, somehow tainted by something evil. We, a lot of times throughout history, have called ourselves defenders of the faith. But that kind of creates a picture of we're standing there with our shields and we're not moving and you better not come and take our faith from us because we're standing strong. But what God wants us to be, what we're really called to be, are explorers of the faith. And we're supposed to move forward in the way that the Holy Spirit leads us. The example you gave of Joe Psychic. There are people that move by the powers of Satan to know the future and to predict things for people. And sometimes they're accurate because sometimes they have the power to see that. There are other people that move by the Spirit of God and they can prophetically speak into someone's life or they can speak a word of knowledge over someone or they can direct somebody. It's the same type of practice, the same outcome, but one is led by the Spirit of God and is holy. The other one is following Satan. God has said in the New Testament that nothing is unclean. It's how you use it that makes it unclean. God created the entire world and especially the spiritual aspects of this world. Exactly. He's the Lord of all of that. And if we go in there as his ambassador, as his emissary, carrying his spirit and being led by his spirit, we can basically take back that land. We can take back the things of the earth that have been taken from God's people because now they're considered unclean. We can take back the whole spiritual realm that Satan has dominated because Christians are too afraid to go there and go in there with the power and the anointing of God and 
learn to walk in the fullness of everything that God has for us. What God has for us goes so much further beyond what we experience typically in getting up on Sunday morning and go to church. And if we're really holy, we go on Sunday night. And if we're really holy, we also go on Wednesday night. But the rest of the week, we just kind of say our prayers and read our Bibles. We don't dare do anything because we're afraid we're going to go somewhere we're not supposed to be. If you're led by the Spirit, you are supposed to be there. And it's safe and it becomes holy when His presence that comes through you gets there. Well, exactly. You know, people get so weirded out by spiritual experiences. And a lot of these spiritual experiences happen while they're worshiping in church. And I'm saying, you're asking God to come and manifest himself to you. You're in a place where you're believing God and other people are believing God. I mean, what more safe place could you do this in? And you really think that if you ask your father for a loaf of bread that he's going to give you a scorpion. Yeah. You know, it comes down to trust. If you're asking God to come down and meet you, he's not going to let a demon come into you and do bad things to you. Now, if you're in some Buddhist sanctuary and you're worshiping some fat guy sitting down, yeah, you could be worried that you would get a demon. But if you're in a church with your heart towards God, praising and singing, God comes down to you at a certain manifestation that you haven't seen before, go with it. Exactly. Don't assume. How could, it, how could it be Satan when you're in the midst of worship in the presence of God? And if it's not exactly right, you can repent of it. You know, there's many administrations of the Spirit, but there is one Spirit. Mm. God is a God of variety. Just look at the world around you. Look at all the birds, the different colors, the different sizes, the different sounds. God likes diversity. And when he comes to you by spirit, it's an individual manifestation of his nature through you. And it's not the same as everybody else. We don't have to be cookie cutter Christians exactly. to follow God. What we need to do is allow Jesus to come to us any way he wants to. And no matter what it looks like, no matter how it manifests, we just need to go with it. If we find out later that we were a little bit off, okay, we fell. We get back up, we do it again. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ exactly. Jesus. He's not sitting up there judging you for trying to be like him. He just wants you to yield to his spirit the best you can. Anything that God does that's supernatural is weird to us because we are natural-minded people. We are not used to this, and so anything mm. that God does is going to appear a little bit strange. And what we should do, rather than worry about the outward manifestation of what God does, is learn to recognize the spirit in the person who is experiencing that manifestation. And if the spirit feels right, leave it alone. Let God do what he's going to do. In fact, encourage the person to yield to it when they come to you and ask you, is this right? And you can say, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm not having the same experience, but in my spirit, I feel like it's okay. So just let it go and see where it goes. Exactly. You know? Things are going to be pretty weird when the Holy Spirit really comes to his people. And those who want everything to be the same as it was 200 years ago, are going to have a problem with what God does. If you are a pastor or leader in God's church, you need to commit now that you're going to let God do whatever he wants to do. And that's harder done than just said. 
in the first century, the temple that they had there, they thought that that was what God wanted. That is where the true worship of God was. And you had to perform the things of law, all the ceremonies, the new moons, the Sabbaths. And that had to be preserved beyond anything. And so when Jesus Christ came and says, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up. That didn't sound very good to them. But their fallacy, their their miscalculation is that they thought that God was more interested in the building than the people. Exactly. He's never about the actions. He's only about the heart. Yeah. And so do not make the same mistake that God is more interested in your building, in your organization, Mm -hmm. in whether you can pave your parking lot than he is about your people. And if you sacrifice your people in order to preserve your building and your ministry, your building and your ministry will go away. And God will stick with the people that you've rejected. Mm. And what does sacrificing these people look like? I think it looks like withholding them from the things that God is trying to lead them into, stopping them when God is leading them. Like you said, people are created intentionally unique. We are so diverse. There's not two fingerprints in the world from two people that are the same. Right. That's how much God loves diversity. So why do we expect that when God's Spirit moves upon us, we know we're going to have some sort of amazing reaction to the Spirit of God coming upon us and being in us? Why do we presume that my experience and my expression of that is going to be the same as yours or anybody else's? I knew two young men that got saved within about six months of each other. The first one, when he met Jesus, he was so filled with joy. He was laughing. He was jumping up and down. He was running around hugging people. That was the way he manifested the Spirit of God in him. That's the way he felt it and expressed it. The next one, as soon as he met God, he just fell down and wept. And he was weeping for joy, and he was weeping for the gratitude that he had for having the salvation. But it was two very different reactions to the same God and the same experience. Whatever you need is what God will bring you into. I remember a time in my life when I was very, very oppressed. And I would cry out to God daily every morning. And one morning I was sitting in my chair where I sat to pray and just crying out to God and feeling so pressed down and so tied up. And as I prayed, his spirit came upon me and I could feel what felt like my spirit coming out of my body. And I could feel myself basically floating around the room, like pushing my feet off the walls and just this feeling of freedom as I floated around the room. And after probably 15, 20 seconds of that, I thought, well, everybody's told me that out-of-body experiences are not of God. Oh my gosh, it's got to be Satan. Immediately, the experience stopped. I didn't tell anybody about it because I thought they're going to think something's going on that's demonic. But in retrospect, I look back and recognize that was really God showing me the freedom that he had for me. And ultimately, he led my entire life and my body into that freedom. But what I needed at that time was the promise of the Spirit to show me that he had freedom in store for me. And it wasn't a demonic experience. Like you said, I was in the midst of worshiping God, and I was in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is the way that God wanted to show me the freedom that I was crying out for. Exactly. So we need to make sure we're not hindering people, and we're not hindering ourselves. Because if our hearts are truly seeking God, and we make a mistake, it's okay. He's got grace. He'll put us on the right track. He'll stand us back up, and we can keep walking. Little by little, we'll understand how to discern between, yes, this is really God, and so I know this manifestation is really God, and no, I don't really think that's God's voice. I think that was my own mind, and so this manifestation is not from God. We're never going to get to that point of recognizing His Spirit completely until we practice it. 
And practice makes perfect. That's right. <laughs> you know, the more times you fall and get up, the better you walk. And when you're trying to walk with God, you make mistakes. But then you get up and you do it again and you do it better. It matters the heart that you have before God. I mean, David made all kinds of mistakes, some some real doozies. And after everything was said and done, God said, he was a man after my own heart. Yeah. Even in view of all the stuff that he had done that wasn't right. I mean, some really bad stuff. And so it's not so much that you make the mistake. What it is, is did you make the mistake in the course of trying to do right? Exactly. In the course of trying to follow God. Where was your heart? Yeah. In the course of trying to manifest God's spirit. Every time that we do something new, we don't know how to do it because it is new. We do the best we can. And some of these manifestations that God gives us are pretty dramatic. And I've seen some people go through some stuff that you you look on the outside, you're afraid they're going to explode. It's so dramatic and it's so physical. And at that time, I just had God, is this you, God? And he would say, yes. And I said, okay. I assume they would survive. <laughs> And, and that's how it is. I mean, people get so weirded out about, well, is this God? Is this not God? Well, you'll find out if you go to the end of it. That's right. And really, you're God's child. Do you think that somebody's going to let their child go and try to do something that's going to hurt them? That's why your baby tries to walk on a carpet, because if it falls, it's not on concrete. That's why you allow your baby to go and hold on to the coffee table. And when they're ready, they'll do it on their own two feet. And we need to understand that God is not as critical of ourselves as we are. Definitely. He understands. He's had a lot of experience with human frailty. (laughs) And it's not like it's surprising him. And that's what I've told different people that have really been caught in some pretty bad stuff. Okay, number one, God is not surprised that you did that. But he still loves you. Yeah, that was wrong. We both agree on that. But what you do is you get up, dust yourself off, repent of it, and do your level best not to do that ever again. And in the meantime, you serve God in every other area of your life. You don't let the devil get you caught in condemnation to where you're so down on yourself you can't do anything for God. We have a limited time on earth and we need to make the most of it. And even if we do make mistakes... We fail fast, and we get Mm -hmm. up, and we do good faster. And we don't let ourselves be crushed by condemnation. Condemnation is this nebulous thing that just tells you you're bad and doesn't give you any way to get unbad. And that's not God. If God thinks that you've done wrong, he'll say, I don't like this, and I want you to do the opposite of that. That's called repentance. You have erred, and I want you to quit doing that specific thing. It's very clear. Now, whether or not you do it, that's your choice. But it's not like God just thinks you're a bad person and there's nothing you can do about it forever, so you just might go and lock yourself in a room and don't do anything the rest of your life. A lot of people that have done the most amazing things for God have very severe flaws. One of the chief evangelists in the 50s, died as an alcoholic. The guy was amazing in the spirit. Miracle healings would come through his hands. 
yet he died because he was a drinker. And people thought, well, was his ministry right? (laughs) Yes, his ministry was right. He was just oppressed by a demon that he couldn't get Mm -hmm. rid of. You know, it was that thing that Paul had in his eyes that he couldn't get rid of. He went around raising people from the dead, yet he couldn't heal his own eye. Mm -hmm. If God can only work through perfect people, he's not going to get anything done on this earth through people. If we see somebody who it appears that they're perfect and they don't sin, it's just because we don't see their hearts. We don't see the secret corners of their lives. Everyone has areas of flaws. Everyone has frailty. God will use anyone whose heart is devoted to him and is willing to yield to him. And the thing about yielding to God in this day and age is that the things that we are going to experience are going to be things that people haven't experienced before. Well, how do we know that? Because Jesus said that when he goes to heaven and sends the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us and teach us things beyond what Jesus spoke when he was on earth. And the experiences that we are going to have are going to surpass the things that people have done in the past. So if you're trying to search the scriptures for an example of every single experience that you're having in God now, you're probably not going to be able to find it. Because what God has said is that we are going to go beyond what has been done in the past. Exactly. That is why it is not as imperative to know the rules and the do's and don'ts as it is to know the Spirit of God. Exactly. You need to know the Spirit. You need to learn to hear His voice. Jesus promised that His sheep would hear His voice and the voice of a stranger we would not follow. Right. We can hold on to that belief and we can, with our whole heart, try to listen to God, learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as He continues to guide us and we recognize it, then we don't have to have a checklist with us. This is right. This is wrong. So many Christians wake up in the morning with a whole list of do's and don'ts. I can't do that. I can't do that. I need to do this. I need to do this. And their whole life is focused on the do's and don'ts and their eyes are on that piece of paper. What if we throw away that paper altogether and we wake up in the morning and connect to the Holy Spirit and we ask God, use me today and guide me today. If we recognize his voice, we know what his presence feels like and we follow where he's leading we're not going to sin. We're not going to do the things that go against his spirit. And we are going to do the things that please him and going to be used by him. But the experiences that we have may not be matched by anything we've seen before, may not be shared by very many people. That does not mean that they should be discounted and doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to explore the land that the Holy Spirit is taking you into. Yeah, and the operative word is to explore. When you explore, you find new things. And it's a delight to find new things. And what we have in the church now is a very sanitized, collated, systematized, categorized Christianity. Mm -hmm. And people have thought that the more you restrict what God can do, the safer you are. But all that has happened is that has restricted us not from sin, but from God. And what we need to do is allow God to be himself, invite the Holy Spirit back into our lives, and let him lead us instead of our doctrine, instead of our eldership, instead of our pastor. Because if you start moving in God the way that God is going to come to his church, you will be persecuted by the very people that you looked up to. Jesus was persecuted and ultimately killed by the very people who should have been so overjoyed to see his day who should have welcomed him in open arms and ushered him into the Holy of Holies in the temple. But they didn't. 
And when Jesus comes again in the guise of his believers in the body of Christ, they're going to react the same Same way. way. Right. There will be some that recognize Christ for who he is in you. I'm not saying there won't be those, but it's going to be the minority. It's always a coming out when God comes in. And when you're looking at the coming move of God, that cannot exist within the system very long before it will be pushed out. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay that it's pushed out because they need to go and be where God is, and they need to be free to allow God to go. Yeah, that's the point. They need to be free. And we all need to be free to be able to do what the Spirit is leading us to do, because we need to learn to walk in that way. The things that are coming upon the earth before Jesus returns are not going to be easy for anyone. And the standards and the rules and the structure of the church is not going to help very many people. What is going to help people overcome, and by overcome I mean be above, is having a relationship with God where you hear the voice of the Spirit and you're led by the Spirit and you do what He asks you to do. You don't have to necessarily have a plan and an agenda. If God is leading you to do something, to prepare for something, by all means, do what He's asking you to do. But you don't even have to know what's coming to know that you're going to be safe if you stay close to God. If you're led by His Spirit, you would learn to hear His voice. As He guides you through these end times, you will be where you need to be to be safe until the time He takes you home and to be there as a representation of Him. Our job as Christians now who are filled with the Spirit is to represent Jesus. We are people who stand in the place of Jesus on earth. He wants us to yield to him so fully that he can speak through us, that through our eyes people will see Jesus, that our hearts will be drawn to the people that Jesus wants us to be drawn to, that we'll be able to speak words that will bring life to people. We can't do that unless we know how to be led by the Spirit and we're completely yielded to him. And if we're constantly worried that, I don't know if I should do that, we're really going to be hindered. We need to have the freedom to know that God is going to lead us and God can keep us safe doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that as we're stepping out in faith, we're not going to mess up. But like we've been saying, there is grace. And when our hearts are true before God and we make a mistake, he shows us, we say, I'm sorry, help me to do it right the next time, and we get back on track. We've got to have that freedom because it's very important that we learn to walk in him and with him. Exactly. God does perfect things with imperfect people. The guy works with what he's got. (laughs) We are set up by the world and by the church to reject God. And most people don't understand the depth of what I just said. But because the world is so overly sexualized, we think that's bad, i.e. sex is bad. And so the church comes over here and says, yeah, God made sex, but it would be better if you just used it for procreation. And anything that looks remotely intimate outside of a marriage, don't go there because you may do what they're doing outside Mm -hmm. of the church. And so we have a generation that is starved for attention, a generation that's starved basically for a hug. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what Jesus was ultimately referring to when he said, they will know that you're my followers by the love that you have one for another. It can't just be worldly love that people are seeing. Otherwise, how can they identify these people as Christians because they love in the same way as everybody else loves? 
And that word, intimacy, I've heard that broken down into the subwords, into me, see. And that is the kind of closeness that God wants his people to have. Precisely. He wants us to see into each other in a way that is through the eyes of God, recognizing the beauty and even the hurt that is in someone else and to love them unconditionally. How can you even do that? You can only do that as the Holy Spirit flows through you. When the Holy Spirit flows through you, connects you to a person so you can see deep into their soul and love them in spite of what they feel like is unlovable. That is where someone can be made whole. That's where healing begins. That's where unity comes. And that's where the power of God is going to reside. When we can have our inner hurts healed, we're no longer held back by fear. We're no longer held back by shame. We're no longer held back by guilt. We're able to be healed and move forward in the fullness of what God has for us. We are supposed to be channeling Jesus to this world. We're supposed to be stepping aside and no longer us living, but Jesus living in us and through us. We've got to give him the freedom to do whatever he wants to do with our bodies, with our minds, with our eyes, with our mouths, with our words, with our time. We need to allow him to do through us everything that he would do if he were standing there in his body so that he can manifest himself to the world and bring healing and love and restoration to so many that are crying out for it. And this is why this move of God has to be led by the Spirit, because our natural minds will never accept it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's just going to short-circuit our own reasoning. And only those who are open to just following God, because you know it's your shepherd, will be able to accept what he does long enough to understand what he does. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you're just a natural mind, you're just going to run for the hills. And that's how it's been in my life a lot of times, because I had to trust God enough, or should I say long enough, to consider what he would say so that I could see it a different way. When I was in my natural way of thinking, programmed basically by what I had been taught in Bible college by a very strict denomination, I could not consider what God was saying if I held to my doctrine. I had to come to a point where I say, okay, Lord, I don't understand that, but I will look at it and I will consider it and you show me the way. And it's the only way I could heal my mind enough so that I could see things his way. Because when you're really deep in doctrine, I mean, you have well-worn ruts in your mind and it doesn't matter if they come to dead ends. You just don't go beyond you that go dead beyond end. that, exactly. You just stop. And you know that freedom to be able to do that is, is amazing. It's wonderful to live a life where you can just let yourself be led by the Spirit. Let Him teach you new things. Let Him give you understanding about things that you never had understood before. Let Him take you places that you don't understand and experience His presence and the joy and the love that comes with where He leads you and not have to understand it. It's a free place, and it's the place that will allow him to flow through us to meet the needs of other people and to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to accomplish in this world. And just know you're in the living room of God, mm-hmm. and there's carpets, yeah. there's coffee tables, there's the hands of your loving Father waiting for you. Exactly. And if you want to get up and walk, try. Exactly. And if you fall down, he'll pick you up, he'll comfort you. And then when you're ready, you can try to get up and walk again. And eventually, you're going to walk. It's what you're made to do. Yeah. It's a learning experience you're going through. And if at first you don't succeed, try, 
try Mm -hmm. again. And there's no shame in it. No, there's not. In fact, you're pleasing your Heavenly Father by attempting it. Attempting, exactly. All the people on the earth that's not listening to him and doing nothing, and you're listening to him and failing, he'll pick you every time. Exactly, because he knows your heart. He knows that you want more of him, and you want to go and explore the land that he's given you, and he will give you what you need to succeed. And I testify to you that there is so much more. Mm -hmm. I have been there. And I come back to you and I say, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. The intimate leading of God's Spirit is nothing short of miraculous. You can have companionship. You can have friendship. Mm -hmm. You can have somebody hold you in the Spirit and meet your needs without worrying about whether you're having to go all the way with them because they don't want to go all the way with you. They just want to hold you because the Holy Spirit is in them holding you. This is unbelievably satisfying. The majority of what God wants to do with you in a close proximity to another believer, it's simply two human beings allowing God to flow through them to speak his words, to look at each other and know that God is there and he is present with you, listening to you, caring about you. You can feel his hands in their hands. It is the manifestation, the revealing of the sons of God. This is far and away the greatest revival that the world has seen since Christ walked the earth. This is Jesus 2.0, and you're going to come in contact with that. The reason that you're listening to this podcast this far is is there's something in you that just desires God and crave the Holy Spirit. And that's why you're here now listening to my voice, because you're saying, is it possible? Am I not crazy? Yeah. Is the beautiful, amazing things I've been experiencing, are they really from Holy Spirit? And you want to know that, and you know deep in your spirit what the answer is. This is just your confirmation to get up and move forward and keep walking. Amen. Well, I think that's about all that we have this incredible time. You know, I like the podcast because I feel the Holy Spirit just as we're talking, you know. Yeah, me too. And I get revelation as I'm talking, and it's thrilling. You know, I feel like I get to feel the flow of God that is going to you who's listening to this podcast. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit minister to you right now and that you feel the presence of God Mm -hmm. falling upon you Mm -hmm. as you listen to my voice. Know that God loves you and that whatever has gone on in your life, it's simply that you fell down. Mm -hmm. But your Heavenly Father is there with his hands out saying, Get back up, son. Get back up, daughter. I'll help you. I don't condemn you. I don't blame you. I adore you for trying. Mm -hmm. And that is the message that God is speaking to you today. And so I pray that the grace of God go with you. I pray that you have a great seven days ahead of you. And I ask in the name of Jesus that his spirit will walk with you as you say yes to his leading and guiding in this week. That's right. Everybody, 
We love you. We'll talk to you next time on God's Love Club. This is Michael and Christy saying bye-bye. Bye. Bye.